This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. Let's go to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. We're talking with the great Terry Francona. I know everybody poo-poos baseball fights. They're like, hey, you go out there and everybody's just talking yeah. and shoving. But when you get out there, man, those guys are big. They they get after yeah. it. And when they get after it, man, look out. It makes you a little nervous. Robin Ventura still won't talk about Nolan Ryan to, to this day. <laughs> he wants nothing with that conversation. Listen to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Betting Weekly Game Bet Match on the Bet Rivers Network. I'm Roy Giovanni, and welcome to Betting Weekly, the tennis podcast brought to you in association with Bet Rivers, your hometown sportsbook. Joining me again to talk all things tennis is former world number four and Miami Open tournament director. James Blake. James, I can see you're somewhere slightly different today. Where are you? Yeah, yeah I'm in Connecticut now. Um, always come back here. It's where I grew up. Always come back here in the summer for a little bit. Staying at a friend's house. Um, still got some some friends that I grew up with here. So I'm um, here for about a week before heading over to Wimbledon. Breaks up the trip a little bit as well. Fantastic. And uh, obviously we are building up to Wimbledon and uh, plenty to talk about this week. And I suppose good place to start Francis Tiafo winning mm-hmm. in Stuttgart at the weekend um went out early this week but uh his performance in Germany means he's uh the third black American to make the top 10 of the world rankings the two before him Arthur Ashe and uh, a certain James Blake um, <laughs> great achievement of course yeah. for for Tiafo. um what you know it's it's incredible because you wouldn't have assumed he was a grass court player, but he's, 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 he's won a tournament on it. Yeah. Um, he's really doing, uh, doing great. And I'm just really impressed with what he's done since last year at the U S open. I think a lot of people saw talent in Francis and thought he had the chance to be good, but maybe he was a little flashy. Maybe he didn't have the work ethic. And, um, I've seen his maturity over the years. I've seen that, that drive that he really does have that. I don't know if everyone else sees because they're, they're drawn to the smile. He's got um, that smile, that laugh that kind of draws everyone in and makes makes everyone feel so close to him and and um, and want to cheer for him. But behind that, he definitely has that drive. And I saw that when I was I was around him for about a year, kind of just helping and um, you know in the background. But when I when I was around him a lot like that, just seeing that it really did hurt him when he lost, and it really did drive him. Uh, it made. Um, it made, it made me feel like he does have that ability to get to this level and hopefully even further. Um, but then when I saw him get to the top 10, uh, I texted him right away. And I remember when I got to the top 10 and how, how cool an accomplishment it was. And, and just that feeling and to do it the way he did it. It's such a close match in a final, um, on grass. Yeah. Probably his not his favorite surface, but he's done well on it. He's beaten since he passed at, at, um, at Wimbledon before, so he's he's had some success on grass, and now he's got a title. So now he's got a title on grass, a title on clay. Um, you know, pretty impressive for a guy that I think most people probably figured would only uh, have success on the hard courts. So 
showing his versatility and um, hopefully he'll have um, have some success at Wimbledon as well. But I just love the fact that he didn't just fall back after after having such a great result at the U.S. Open last year and then get too caught up in the hype or anything else that was around it. I know that break point is just coming out and all that kind of stuff and the cameras are around him. And he loves that stuff, but he also puts in the work, which is what I'm uh, I'm really impressed with, and how much he's he's matured with Wayne Ferreira and Jordy um, at his side. I mean, we we said it's three Black American men to make the top ten. Of course, mm-hmm. more women had the Williams sisters, of course, and and Sloane mm-hmm. Stevens in in recent years. I mean, it feels like a small number, and I mean, I, I suppose it's all about representation with, with everything. I mean, with you, who who were you looking up to when you were younger, and and who who has TFO? He's probably looked up to you in some in some aspects. Yeah, yeah, and I love hearing that from Francis. And he told me that he did, and I, I told him, well, just so you know, like you're inspiring that next generation. And for me, it was um, you know Mal Washington who missed out. I think he missed out on the top ten by one spot. I think he got to eleven. He made and the he, finals of Wimbledon. Of course, yeah. And, um, so I, I actually I remember when I was a kid watching tennis. That what I looked up to, I looked up to people for different things. I didn't have like a necessarily just a favorite player, just to have a favorite player and liked everything about him. I had certain aspects that I loved of different players. I loved Jim Courier's work ethic. Um, I loved Stefan Edberg and Matt Vlander for the fact that they never were rattled. Um, so I, I watched people for, for sort of different reasons. I loved Lendl's determination and, and just, uh, I mean, that kind of uh, killer attitude he had on the court. And then I, I loved Mal just because I, I, it was someone that that I could relate to or that I felt like I had a little more of a connection to. So um, I, I like people for different reasons. Um, and Mal was definitely someone that I always watched. I thought he had, uh, I mean, I thought he had the coolest style, um, the, the, the old Reebok pumps. Um, I remember I wanted to get those because Mal had them. Um, I had to save up. Uh, my parents wouldn't buy them for me, thought it was a waste, but I, I <laughs> saved up my, my paper out money and got, got a pair of those midnight Reebok pumps and, um, wanted to be like Mal as well. And, uh, wish he could have won a couple more matches and gotten to that top 10, but he had a heck of a career too, that was unfortunately cut short with his knee injury. Um, but yeah, and, and it, it does make a difference. And so I, I'm, I'm happy to hear that Francis was, was watching me, but I know he was also inspired by the Williams sisters and seeing what they did and, and knowing that it's possible, especially coming, you know, they have, um, a little more similarities coming from where they came from. So, um, I know he's been close with Serena for a long time and, um, it does make a difference. Representation does matter. So I love seeing, um, Francis in that top 10. I hope he stays there for a long time and maybe even has plenty of battles with him and Fritz for, the number one American for the next five or six years. If, if there are another guys that are going to step up as well, like Sebastian Corda or Tommy Paul, but um, it's uh it'll be fun to see, to watch. Absolutely. Now this week, a lot of the big guns are preparing for Wimbledon, the men's side at Queens club in London and Haller in Germany. Mm-hmm. I remember, I think Federer always used to play Haller. Um mm-hmm. Why do some players choose one venue over the other? I think you you were a regular at Queens, if I remember rightly. Um, I played twice at Halle, but I mean, I'll, I'll give you the the truthful answer and not the political answer. Is um, one big reason is money. <laughs> There's differences in uh in in appearance fees, and some some tournaments love having certain people. They are draw at certain places. I know Roger was a huge draw in Halle. And once they saw that, I think they did their best to, to confirm that he was going to be there for many, many years and and made those offers pretty, uh, pretty lucrative. And, you know, Queens Club has money, too. They all they both have money. It's just a matter of them picking and choosing which players they want to kind of open the checkbook for. 
Um, but other other reasons, you know, there's those are the top players. That's the reason some of the top players go down to the sort of rank and file players that that aren't getting big appearance fees. It has a lot to do with how they feel their preparation um, should be. And uh, for me, Queens, a lot of times was better preparation because it made me feel like I've got a home base for a month. So I would stay at Queen. I would stay at the same house that I was staying at for Wimbledon for that week at Queens and then have a practice week and then be there for Wimbledon. So I felt like I was home for a little bit longer. Um, some people don't like that. Maybe they feel like they get stagnant because they're so used to playing on the road. So they want to play Hala and then come into Wimbledon a little later. They don't want to be there that whole time. Um, and then otherwise, it's just the courts. I, I loved the courts at Queens. They were absolutely perfect. Um, I mean, up there, possibly even some people would, I don't know, it might be blasphemous over there in, in England, but it, some people say it might be even better than the courts at Wimbledon. But um, I think they're they're on par, we'll say, with the courts at Wimbledon. Halle, it's a little more of a, uh, a court that's it's just put together for that event. So it's not as kind of perfectly manicured the way the way Queens is. But um, but also a fun place. Halle, you also it's it's totally a different experience because you really don't need to leave the hotel. You can basically walk from your hotel room out to the courts and walk back. So um, you kind of never need to leave the premises. Some people love those kind of weeks. So for me, I had I had two years of that. I had probably. 10 years of Queens and, and really enjoyed both. But I, I'd say um, Queens was, was pretty special um, because of the history, the, the, the people on the wall there and um, just how, how kind of historic the, the club was. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I used to live around the corner from Queens club and it's a, it's a pretty cool venue. I have Very to cool. say, but I am yeah, just I, in that I neighborhood. <laughs> in that neighborhood and then you just open up to this beautiful club it doesn't it seems sort of like yeah. unassuming as you're coming up to it you you um you don't think oh this is this is the entrance to a to an uh, to a historic club and then you get there and you realize how how kind of perfectly placed it is yeah it's kind of yeah it's near baron's court tube uh, on the underground and and all the pubs really they just spill out with yeah. all the people and when the weather's good it's a it's a great great place to be um yeah. just Looking at one player who's at Queen's Club, Carlos Alcaraz, mm. he's he's played, I think he's only played a handful of matches on, on grass in his career. And we've talked about how Rafa Nadal made that transition from being a clay specialist to being a Wimbledon champion. And with Alcaraz, is, is there anything technical perhaps that he needs to work on, do you think, to become a, a good or a, a great grass court player or, or is it just a matter of him needing more practice i think well practice is always going to help but i think it's the movement um he's such a good mover on clay and hard um and i think there is a little bit of a different um mindset to moving on grass novak has mastered it uh, I, I don't think i've seen anyone move better on grass especially as the grass has become slower where you have to move at the baseline as opposed to the years of Sampras and Becker and Edberg where it's just serve and volley and you're pretty much just moving um, straight up and back as opposed to laterally um, and now it's just so easy to slip if you take that quick first step and if you're if you're not really balanced when you're changing direction and Novak has mastered that. Rafa, I think it took a little while, but he was such a quick study. He picked it up. He picked it up pretty quickly. Alcaraz moves so um, sort of violently, um, mm -hmm. and it's incredible to watch on hard and clay um, how well he does and how fast he gets off the blocks. Um, but on grass, I think that can lead to a little bit more slipping. That can lead to that, that could actually end up leading to injuries if you're slipping um, and, and fall a little awkwardly. But 
Um, I think it's just going to be a matter of him figuring out how to sort of temper that. And it's really difficult. I had trouble with that as well because I, I liked moving on hard courts where I could take that that really hard, violent first step. And I ended up slipping uh, quite a bit on grass um, just because you have to be balanced and, and you have to focus on that instead of focusing on just you see the ball where it is and you want to go get it. You just want to you want to be there as quick as you can. And um, I think that's the way Alcaraz still thinks. And um, I think it's going to take a little bit of time, but it's up to him if he wants to actually put in that time and, and energy, um, because some guys think, you know, it's a grass court season. It's so short. I don't need to worry about it. I'll, I'll put my focus into the hard and clay and. You know, that's everyone's prerogative. But if he uh, if he wants to win Wimbledon, seven matches there, three out of five, you're going to have to, I think, move um, a little bit, uh, a little bit more, I don't know, I don't uh, measured when you're on the when you're on the grass there. And I, I think he can do it. I mean, Rafa, like I said, Rafa did it. Rafa was one of the most violent movers um, when it came to clay and hard as well. But he was able to to stay balanced when he got on the grass and didn't didn't slip that much either because he, he kind of figured that out um, relatively young. I think Carlos can do it and he'll probably be helped by Juan Carlos. Juan Carlos actually, um, he wasn't a very natural grass quarter, but he ended up having some decent results um, on the grass and, and felt looked like he was a little more comfortable moving on it. So I think hopefully he can help him as well. Yeah, let, let's hope so. I mean, it's similar on the women's side, I guess, uh, with Wimbledon where you have the number one player in the world, Iga Svantec, who, hasn't played that many matches on grass. Um, she is going to be playing at Bad Homburg next week in preparation for Wimbledon. Do you think one week on the grass in the tournament is, is enough preparation for Wimbledon? You know, I think that depends on the player. Uh, when you watch guys like Sampras play, when Rafa was winning the French so many times and would come over and just play one week, I think it was it was enough then. But she's a young, she's still a young player, even though obviously she's one, of, she's already one of the all-time greats um, because of her record. But people forget that she's only 21 years old, so she hasn't played a lot on grass. So I think at that time, it is important maybe to get a few more matches um, on the grass courts. Uh, for her, that forehand is is one that was attacked a little bit last year on the grass, kind of skidding through, getting to the forehand a little quicker um, when she lost to Cornet. But I think. Um, I think for her, similar to Alcaraz, I think she can play some more matches and and work her way into being a, a great grass quarter. I don't think she is yet, um, but I think it's going to. So I think it will, will take time. Maybe next year she'll play a few more matches on it um, or work work a little bit longer on it. But it's tough when you're winning the French Open every year that you uh, you don't exactly have the time to prepare for Wimbledon. But um, the fact that they have that extra week uh, now, uh, as opposed to when I was playing, it, it's it's much better. Um, so you have that little extra preparation, a little extra rest after the French Open. Um, I just think it's going to be tough for her this year at Wimbledon. There's so many uh, great women that that really hit the hit the ball big and, and can put tons of pressure on you and and don't focus as much or don't rely as much on their movement as their sort of calling card. Um, that they don't need to move as well to still be effective. Uh, the Rabakinas, the um, the Sabalenkas that can they can really hit through the court. Yeah, you mentioned Sviontek's forehand, and and I think it's a similar sort of topic, similar area of discussion with Coco Goff, in mm. that you know they've both got what they're called Western grips on the forehand. Mm. Can you sort of explain to the layman like myself sort of why that would why that might prevent them being as effective on grass. I mean, just looking at Sviontek, she actually won the girls' title at Wimbledon in, in 2018. So, you know, it's not totally alien to her, but 
maybe once you get into the senior ranks upper level you know these kind of deficiencies become more apparent yeah so the western grip it's it's one where it's it's far over i mean it's obviously possible to win there with a western grip rafa nadal has a, a pretty pretty far western grip as well but he's able to to kind of flick his wrists so quickly that it wasn't it didn't really uh hamper him um, the problem is on the grass courts, they tend to skid a little bit more, not nearly as much as they used to, but it still can skid when players are hitting it hard and flat and through the court. And with a Western grip, when it stays low, it's much more difficult to hit a low ball with a Western grip because um, your hands further over and it's easier to hit high ones. It's easier to hit topspin, but it's difficult to get those low ones um, without adjusting, without having a really quick flick of the wrist. Um, or being able to switch your grip and and get under it and slice it um, in some way to, to play defense that way. So Rococo and Iga, um, I could see having success in juniors because not a lot of juniors are hitting it with the pace of, say, a Sabalenka or a Rybakina um, that can pressure you, pressure that forehand and really make you uncomfortable with it. Um, and now in the 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 senior tour, the um WTA, they, they are enough players that can do that, that can cause you cause some problems. Um, Iga's still uh, a great mover, unbelievable backhand, really good serve, great mind. Um, and all that similarly can be said about Coco. Um, so they, they're still going to be able to win a lot of matches, I think, especially since Coco had some success there early on. She kind of broke through for the first time there, went over Venus um, when I believe she was only 15 years old. Um, so she can do well. I think it's difficult to to win a title when you're playing against other players as it gets deeper in the tournament that are playing really well and able to find that maybe one little hole um, in the game, which um, is so small. And we're really nitpicking to find ones for, for Iga because she's so good and so dominant. But on the grass, that is where players feel like there can be a vulnerability. Um, and like I said, she's such a good mover that she'll be able to, to hide it, um, and, and be able to adapt and move into a position where she can either take the ball earlier. So it's not dipping or play a little defense on it and get around and rip some backhands, um, or get the, the forehand that she's looking for. That's up a little higher. Um, but I just think, uh, later stages that can be tough, um, on the grass against some of the players that can really hit, hit through the court. Just brought back kind of memory. Obviously, Sviontek not having a great deal of grass preparation. I, I just remember, obviously, you mentioned him earlier, Ivan Lendl, trying for years and years to win Wimbledon. And even, did he even miss the French one year to concentrate on Wimbledon? I've got that in my head. I think he did. I think yeah. he, he missed the French to, to train on grass because he wanted that so bad. And um, man, he, he had that determination. Like I said, I looked up to different players for different reasons. His determination was to win every single match and every time he stepped on the court, including exhibitions. And I <laughs> heard plenty of stories about those where he thought it was funny to beat the exhibition uh, playing partner 6060 because it was uh, that's just his mentality. He didn't think there was any reason to ever give anyone a game. So he was uh, he wanted to win Wimbledon so bad. And I know how much that hurt him. He lost uh, he lost in the finals. Who did he lose? I At cash, I think. Did he lose? Yeah, that's cash? right. The cash one where cash jumped up into the stands. That, yeah. That's right. But yeah, he was so close and he, I mean, he was one of the most dominant players uh, of his era uh, was seven U S opens uh, just incredible. And I want to say like 10 or 11 finals there. It was pretty incredible how much he was dominant on the hard courts at that time. Yeah. It was Pat Cash in 87 and Boris Becker the year before. So he, okay. he was just a bit unlucky, but it, it's weird because you mentioned as well, there is the, the grass court season is, is so short now. Mm. It's, 
it's very hard for players like Alcaraz and Sviontek to get that practice on the grass ahead of Wimbledon, yeah. especially if, if you're not an, even you're not close to being a natural on the surface. Yeah, it's difficult. They they have added one more week um, from what it used to be, but still, you're only probably going to play maybe two tournaments. Like you said, is one tournament enough? No, it's probably not. But is two making that big of a difference? Not really. So um, it's sometimes the decision of what's more important: the rest, um, the recovery, um, the time to just uh, have a controlled practice, or do you play more matches? And that might only be one more match or two more matches. So. It is difficult, and it's such a unique surface that um, you don't have the time to really prepare. You don't practice on it very often. A lot of places don't have um, courts. When I used to train, I would train mostly on – if I was going home after the French, uh, um, back at Saddlebrook, there was there were some grass courts, but they weren't like the grass courts at Wimbledon. So I would hit mostly on the hard, and then I'd go onto the grass just to hit serves and returns, just to, um, to get the feel of the returns, and then maybe move a little bit um but it was difficult to to get that rhythm on the grass so um there isn't a lot of time and it takes someone that's why i think novak is just so um such a huge favorite at wimbledon because he's figured out how to move and he's mastered over how many years he's played it now uh it's been probably 18 years or so he's been playing at wimbledon and knowing how to move knowing how to control his body feeling comfortable and confident while he's moving um, and knowing obviously that he's got, he, he's got so many titles already, uh, that he, he feels like he goes to that place and it's like his backyard. So, um, I think that's just going to make him a, a huge favorite there this year. Talking of players who know how to win on grass, Venus Williams, we talked about her last week and earlier this week, she beat Camilla Giorgi of, of Italy. And, and that was quite something to watch. She's 43 now and... Yeah. I watched the final set of that and I just, and the crowd reaction was fantastic because they were right behind her. She had a left knee strapped and she just still kept fighting and she got the win. It was absolutely incredible. I mean, how is she doing this? I have no idea. I mean, she had her left knee strapped. Seeing her reaction was amazing because it means so much to her still at this age at 43, but Man, I'm 43. It hurt me to get out of bed this morning. Uh, my, my hip was was sore just just getting out of bed, and I didn't do anything. Uh, um, so I, for her to to be playing at that level and beating a top player in over three hours for that match, I think three hours and 16 minutes um, at that age to win a match like that, uh, really really remarkable and special. I mean, she's she's a special individual. I think we've always known that. So much hype or so much. Um, notoriety is given to Serena that it, at times, unfortunately, can overshadow Venus. And, um, you know, people tend to forget that because of her last name. You know, she's obviously gotten, um, she, Serena gave her a lot of credit for for her career, but Venus's career on her own. If she wasn't named Williams, we would talk about how dominant she was and she's one of the greats of all time, as opposed to talking about her sister being the most dominant or or the greatest of all time. But um, Venus, her career is, it was remarkable and, and it may, uh, I, I'm not, not saying for sure, but speculating, obviously this is her last year on tour uh, only because, like I said, it hurt me to get out of bed at 43. So I don't know how she could be playing much longer than this, but, um, she deserves an unbelievable and a proper send off at Wimbledon where she's one of the greatest champions to ever play there. Um, played some epic matches and epic finals there. Um, so it's, it's just fun to see that she's still also playing at this level and going to be able to go out on her own terms whenever she wants to stop, um, because she clearly felt like she had a little bit of unfinished business and maybe, uh, maybe wanting to stop at one of her favorite spots. 
but um, I love to see it. Love to see her attitude, her enthusiasm, and the fact that she's still doing it. Because she's also not someone that um, that will feel lost once she's done. I don't think she has so much more in her life. She um, she she's a very bright individual. She's got a lot of other interests. Um, so I know she'll whatever she is done, she'll be successful in another arena um, without a doubt because she she has a, a passion for other things and and is very capable. She certainly is. And this it does very much have the feeling of a kind of farewell tour this yeah. uh, this grass court season. And it's also going to be farewell to Annette Contivate, who um, yeah. announced that she's going to retire after Wimbledon. She's been suffering from a, a lower back injury so soon after reaching number two in the world. I know I, I thought she she had a slam in her, but I, I guess it. It's, it's a real shame on a number of levels, but I guess it really does put into perspective what the likes of Venus and, and Serena, of course, and, and the big three in men's tennis have done. It's yeah. such a physical sport these days. It is. And longevity is something with, with a lot of these players' career that's overlooked because they've got so many great results. All those all those names you mentioned, Serena, Venus, the big three, um, what they've done and been able to accomplish for so long and avoid those major injuries. And I know for, for Annette, she also had COVID and it, uh, it was long COVID. So that kept her out for a long time. And it's really difficult for, I think, a lot of people to understand that you have to be 100% to be out there. Um, and that's what's really incredible about those big three and some of those those greats is they 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 tend to win even when they're at 95%. And people think like that's an awful day. Oh, they had, a, they had an off day. And you realize they still had a lot of things that were going right. So if you're trying to play on tour at 80%, you know, when she was dealing with COVID or any any players trying to deal with a sickness or, or a, a nagging injury, it's just so difficult to win matches um, unless you're a level or two above the competition. If you're Roger playing someone that's a hundred in the world and you've got a, you've got an ankle that's really bothering you, you can maybe find a way to win. But if you're, if you're 25 in the world and you're playing 40 in the world and you've got one tiny little thing wrong, you're not a favorite anymore. You're probably going to lose. Um, and for her, she wasn't as dominant. She got to two in the world, which is a great, great accomplishment. But um, she wasn't the, the dominant figure. And then once she got COVID, once she was dealing with long COVID, and then her back was bothering her, it was just so difficult to come back and win matches. All these girls are are, are so good, and they're um, they're competing for your spot. They want your ranking. They want those points. And so um, it really does show how amazing it is uh, for these players. And I, I always said that that was one of the biggest differences from when I was. 80 in the world to when I was top 10 in the world was the way I was the way I figured out a way to win matches when I wasn't a hundred percent, but that, uh, but my, my down never went from a hundred percent to 50%. My down went from a hundred percent to 95%, 93%. And so I was able to win some matches there when I was 80 or 90 in the world, my hundred percent went down to 80%. And those matches I was getting beat by anyone out there on tour. Anyone could beat me at that, at that level. So, um, so that was the difference. And, and these players that are able to stay consistent and keep their their highest level close to or close to their highest level at all times. Um, it's really incredible. And for her, she's dealing with a back injury and you can't stay at that high level without um, without your fitness. And it's unfortunate. She seemed like such a such a nice woman. And um, I wish her the best when she's done. And I hope she she doesn't have the regrets or anything about her career. It's um, there will, I'm sure, be some what ifs. What if I had stayed healthy? What if I hadn't gotten covid? But um, as long as she did her best and can look herself in the mirror, then she's had an unbelievably successful career and um, wish her the best for hopefully a, a lot more uh, a lot more wins outside of the tennis court um, for the rest of her life.
So say all of us. Thank you, James, once again for your insights from the world of of tennis. Uh, That's it for this edition of Betting Weekly. Remember, there are four ways to follow us. First is via the podcast provider of your choice. Then there's the Bet Rivers Network on YouTube. And on Twitter, you can follow all of our handicappers from a number of sports on at Because We Win. It's the same handle, at Because We Win, on Instagram. Thanks again, James, and we'll speak to you again soon. And uh, yeah, when are you heading over to Wimbledon? Um, In about a week. I I get there um, the Friday before it starts. Great. Well, uh, safe flight and enjoy. Hopefully the British weather holds for you. Hopefully. Does it ever? Does it? Well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's been uh, unseasonably very nice for the last week or so. But um, I think things are just about to turn just in time for Wimbledon. As, yeah, uh, of course. As, as always, as always. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you, James. And thank you for all tuning in. Good luck if you're having a bet and catch up soon. Thanks for listening to Betting Weekly Game Bet Match on the Bet Rivers Network.